I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. One of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for Real People, Real Topics, Real Talk. Let's face it. Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Sunday, August the 16th. Um, Welcome back. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Wonderful. That's good. That's good. It was a good weekend, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 Can you tell I I invested in some new equipment in your body? Yes, I can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Wonderful. You know I had to break down and do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, but how was everybody's weekend? I had I have a lot to tell you. How was your weekend, Alicia? You know, I'm I'm still not at the point where I have absorbed my weekend, but I'll try to give you a synopsis. <laughs> Yes, the weekend, Saturday in particular, was very wonderful. Um, what I did um, in conjunction with the National Association of Professional Women, the Newport News chapter, uh, we put together what was called an author's corner. And there were three dynamic authors, as well as myself, um, from the local area that really shared their testimony. And what they were sharing is what led them to write their book. And, you know, we you remember Frederick Allman, who previously was on the show and talked right. about the power of forgiveness. Awesome testimony of someone who, you know, it's not easy, 11 years old, watching your mother murdered before you and also being left with debilitating scars and nightmares from the stabbing that you received. But when it's in you to share your testimony, like we did with the confession show, for the effect that you're going to help someone else, you have to keep going. Um, so for me, it was just a blessed time to have other guests that were there to experience these wonderful authors, but also to understand that you can leave your legacy on this world by writing and then sharing your story. Um, so I was so encouraged. Now, I was encouraged at the number of people that are demanding that we do another one. And oh, really? The number of, yeah. I mean, we couldn't finish and they're just like, so when's the next one? I'm going, you mean I have to do this again? <laughs> but, you know, just like yeah. your radio show, just like our show, let's face it, you will do it again to the point of exhaustion because you yeah. have a mission, you have a purpose, and you want to continue to operate in that purpose. So I'm, I'm just truly humbled right now for the number of people that supported, the number of people that came out, the number of people I was able to really just spotlight each of us spotlight our stories, but, you know, anytime I can give and share testimony on childhood abuse and highlight the number of children in this country, youth that are plagued by suicide and suicide attempts, mm-hmm. that, that warms my heart 
because it's definitely something, as we addressed on the show several times before, it's definitely something we need to give a voice to and we need to help our children. Definitely. And and this was the event. This was the event that you didn't invite me to, right? No, I invited you, sir. Sir, you were invited, but like you said, you don't want to come to the east end of Virginia, which really for you is nothing more than 45 minutes away, sir. That's a long time. That's a long (laughs) time. Actually, I was close to you today on your end, but that's okay. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right, Will. I love you anyway. All right. (laughs) And Jesus loves you, too. (laughs) Danielle, how was your weekend, boo? My weekend is still going. I'm all the way in ATL, Georgia. That's right. All right, girl. Yes, I'm kind of vacationing. It's kind of a work vacation. I'm doing a little bit of work and a little bit of vacationing together. So I'm enjoying my time here. Didn't realize how expensive it was in Atlanta. I'm a little, some people call cheap. I say frugal. I don't Amen. really like to spend too much money, uh, but I have to come off some coins while I'm here. But but I'm enjoying myself, enjoying the uh, atmosphere and and the southern hospitality. Mm-hmm. I thought the cost of living in Atlanta was less expensive than it was here. Is it more? It it might be not downtown Atlanta. It's not downtown. You must be drinking oh, hot tourism. Hot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. oh, yeah. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course. What about Miss Shay? How was your weekend? My weekend was good. I um, had the opportunity to host a workshop on sex and marriage yesterday, so I got to talk about sex, which is always exciting. Oh, mm-hmm. that's another thing. <laughs> All right, man. Okay, I understand. That's you it. were invited, Will. You was invited. I don't know what you. He don't be. He don't be reading his email. That's what's wrong. I don't think so. I I think he doesn't Mm-mm. check his social media either. Oh, oh, okay. oh, oh, well. Yeah, okay. Maybe I should keep my mouth shut. Okay. It's <laughs> still it all uh, Sunday. All right. Yeah, yeah. But that was a good weekend. And, and Mr. Nathan Whitfield, how was your weekend? Oh, it was another weekend. Just <laughs> another weekend. <laughs> Overall, it was okay. Just okay. Aww. Most of my weekend making sure my show was good. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. That's good. You're right. But, Nate, You're we right. thank you because it's going to yeah. be an awesome show. So we, we yeah, thank you in advance. Exactly. Thank you for I'm taking one for the team. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, my weekend, um, it started out, you know, I have been looking forward to this weekend for about a month. You know, I don't know if you guys know it or not, but I love amusement parks. It's like one of the best things to do. Um, I love roller coasters. Usually when I go to an amusement park, I just do the roller coasters over and over again. So I've been looking forward scared? to this weekend since, um, what you say? You ain't scared? No, not at all. Not at all. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been looking forward to this weekend ever since probably the beginning of July. Um, a friend oh. of mine has set this, we have set this date. Um, come this morning, you know, we were supposed to leave. I wanted to be there when the park opens because my thing was we can get to the the newer roller coasters with, you know, less people in line. Anyway, I get a a text. I get a text that says, you know, I I went in to work early this morning, um, but I'll be off in time, blah, 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 blah. Fine. That's fine. I understand you got to make your money. Time comes that, you know, they're supposed to be here to pick me up. Nobody's here. 
So I said, well, I'm not going to be impatient. I'm going to wait a little while longer. An hour goes by. Mm. I'm a little frustrated. Still not here. So I send a little text, and I'm like, you know, is this a bad time? Are you busy? Do we need to reschedule? Didn't get anything then. About another 45 minutes goes by. So by now, I'm already made a decision up there. When I get this call, you know, I'm going to say my piece, and then we're not going anyway, which pretty much I did in a nicer (laughs) way. Just said, you know, because I knew I had to go. I wanted to go, and I had to be back in time to prepare for tonight's show. So anyway, I was just frustrated at the fact that, you know, we had set this plan a month ago, over a month ago, and then at the last minute, you know, you took a client. And I was uh-huh. upset. So I wanted to ask you, this is not really a hot topic, but do I have a oh, right Lord. to be upset? Heck yeah. Oh, and you, and you handled it better than you. I would have because I think I would have been a little bit more salty. First of all, I wouldn't send you that little nice complimentary text, okay? I you think the text I would have sent you been like, you know what, go ahead and cancel that move. <laughs> you know what? And I wouldn't have said, you know, you want to reschedule? You can reschedule, but I'll tell you what, you wait on it for the time we're going to go to the basement park. I'm going to go, yeah. but I ain't going to go with you. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, there were like, you know, when's your next available time? You know, I was like September, October sometime, but, you know, I was a little upset. I was a little frustrated because I had been looking forward to this weekend. And, you know, I got my oh. tickets from a client that I actually won them from. As a gift, uh, so I was like, you know, this was a good time. And you didn't go? go? I had to pay about it. I didn't go. No. Uh-huh. But did you use the tickets in the future, or was that it? Oh yeah, I can still use the tickets, I and mean, I'm going to use the tickets. Oh okay, okay. But you know, I'm about to say, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pick another guest. Don't don't go with that person. Yeah. At least <laughs> exactly. text. That that's the problem. You you can't text me and tell me you're not coming. Don't be wasting my time. Exactly. exactly. My time is valuable, and time is money. Exactly. So that's just rude. Rude, rude. So, also, you know, tonight is a concept out of our co-host, Mr. Nathan Whitfield. So, Nate, why don't you tell us about what you have planned for tonight? Why don't you do that? Um, yeah, yeah, tell us about that first, and then we're going to go into well, some of our I have, um, I tell you, I, I'm really excited about tonight's show, um, mm-hmm. more so about the guests that I was able to get for the show. All really awesome young men and women. Um, And, you know, with the events going on with the anniversary of Ferguson, uh, then there are a slew of questionable African-American suicides in the prison system. Uh, I just wanted to know exactly what it was to what it feels like, you know, from other people to be black in America. Is there different standards for being black in America being black in America, or is the race card just being used as an excuse? You know, how can we stand up for our rights without losing our lives? So Mm. I put together a panel of people I felt that can give us um, uh, great experiences as well as can, can give us, you know, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> that can that give us. That just such um, an awesome show. <laughs> it really is. And I've been looking forward to this one because this is one of those like discussions that I could talk right. to you blue in your face about. I'm very passionate about just um, the experience we have as a people and and how it's different compared to some other um, ethnicities in our country. 
So I'm excited definitely to to have this discussion and, and hear everyone's perspective on it. And I think the problem is so often on certain topics, um, as we say here on the show, no topic is ever taboo. People right. just, they they shy away from it. I don't want to talk about it. You exactly. know, you can get in your circle of black friends and talk about it. But then if you're in, you know, some other circles, it's like, can we talk about black people? Oh, can we talk about that issue, you know, without being called racist? So sometimes you just need to put things out on the table, share a perspective for information, and then we can share clarity. We can talk about it. And I'm excited for the the guests we have. I'm really excited. Again, kudos to you, Nate, for the concept and the people that you were able to have on the show. I'm Wonderful. really ready to get down to this discussion. Exactly, exactly. Nate, you had found something about Malcolm X. What was that about? Yes, it, a journalist mm-hmm. had asked Malcolm X a question about our progress. Mm-hmm. And if he felt as though we were making progress. And I just want to read to you guys his answer. Is that okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She said, do you feel that we're making progress in this question, this country? And he said, no, I'll never say that progress is being made. If you stick a knife into my black, into my back nine inches and pull it mm-hmm. out six inches, that's not progress. If you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. Progress is healing the wound that the blow has made. Mm. So I want to ask my co-host and my host, what do y'all feel? Do y'all feel as though we're making progress in this country? Oh, yeah. I definitely feel like we're making progress. Look at you know President Barack Obama, although he probably is arguably the most disrespected president in history. I feel um, we definitely are making progress, but I do feel that you know, just that as way. much, just as far as we have come, I think we still have that much further to go. But I do definitely believe that since the time when that you know that interview was given, we definitely have made progress without a doubt. So even with them being him being disrespected like that, you would consider that progress? Yeah, because he, he's in the office. You know, there was a time when that was that was that that wouldn't even be um, considered. So, you know, enough people mm-hmm. did put him in office, so I believe that is progress. But like I well, said, I'll just as far as we've come, we still have that, for, that much further to go. I'll give you my spin on that. Um, okay. I, I hear when people Go say ahead. we've made <laughs> – exactly, I consider mm-hmm. that one. You'll hear people use that as an example. You know, you have a black president in office, and that's progress. Mm-hmm. I say it, 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 it it's based on how you define progress because mm-hmm. here's my thing. A lot of times it's in, in offices they say we have diversity. No, sweetie, what you have are different people from different racial groups or ethnic groups represented. That is not diversity. That is the same thing as saying I have a token this, a token this. A to-. So demographically, I have diverse people. But what environment have you created? Have you created an environment of diversity? You can't create that just because I have one of each represented. Um, so, you know, a lot of times I feel, I feel like people feel like we've made progress because we have a black president. But at the same time, you know, you use the example of he's being disrespected. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
we look around at the world, the different things going on, Ferguson. And like you said earlier, Nate, you know, we have these questionable suicides in the prison system. So sometimes I feel like you're given, I'll give you an inch as long as I can keep my foot exactly on your throat. Exactly. So, you know, and I, that's how I, I feel like feel with the president. Exactly. I'll let you in the yes. office. Exactly. We gave you the office. You're not going to have full authority We're going to control power. it, yeah. You, you, yes, but I, even I with that it. saying, mm. I respect that. I can respect that, Alicia. I can respect that, and you as well, Nathan. But you, you, you almost act as if he's got nothing to accomplish. He's gotten so much accomplished. Yes, he has oh, no. been challenged on every front, on every front. but we have a strong president. And we know exactly. We, I mean, he didn't go. I'm sure he didn't go into it thinking that it was going to be easy. I, I mean, I didn't even know. It was, I didn't even think it was going to be easy. But um, I think he's done a, a really good job, and I think he'll leave probably going down in history as being one of the most successful presidents, whether they admit it or not. I mean, Rolling Stones put him on the cover saying that he's one of the most successful presidents in history. Um, so I think that is progress. I mean, but you know. We agree to disagree. I think he's made some progress, but I would have liked to have seen him to do do more in regards to race relations and the issues that we face in this country. Because as during the time of his presidency, we have seen, it feels like every month, someone exactly. being killed or hurt or harmed. And there could be some federal legislation in place to change this that he could have spearheaded. So I, I do agree that he has made some steps, but I personally felt like he could have done more to assist us because he is considered the black president or the first black president, So, and he's very aware of the issues we face. Now, I do know that he did a mentorship for a young black man, and that's a start, but I felt like in the time that he's been in office, he could have done a little bit more to assist with some of the issues we have along, around race. And I agree with what Alicia said. Progress is basically defined differently. Everybody has their own perception or um, of what progress looks like. So for me, I feel like it's been a small inch, but we still have way more to go. And it's going to take a lot more than what we're doing now to fix the problems that we have. Well, you know, I do want to remind the listeners that, Definitely the phone lines are open and you can call in um, if you yes. want to give your opinion on has President Obama made progress, as well as any of the other topics we're going to discuss this evening about being black in America. The number is one seven one three nine five five zero seven nine three, and you can press 1 if you want to be live on the air. Awesome. Did everybody weigh in on the on the question that wanted to speak? I didn't. Um, this is Shay. Yes. I wanted to say that I do think we've made a, a type of progress. Okay. Um, but I don't think that integration had the intended effect. I think right. what integration did is it made it illegal to be overtly racist. Mm-hmm. So we went from a society that was not only segregated in practice, but segregated legally to a society mm-hmm. that was not, that was legally integrated, but in practice, we're still segregated for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more of a covert issue. I do mm-hmm. think, though, that 
research and education and a lot of other progressive um, people have opened the doors for us to begin having the conversations around race. And I think that's a lot of what's going to lead to the healing if people let it. I've also seen a lot of people shut the conversations down about race, both blacks and white. Uh-huh. Yes. That's true. Well, you know, I guess a lot could be Come on, Will, I feel something <laughs> yeah, in your spirit. You know, <laughs> no, because we could go on and go on and go on. I, you know, I guess it has to do with things, issues that touch your heart. And a lot of the issues that touched my heart, President Obama was head on with. Um, and, and like you said, I have to agree with each of you. There probably could have been more with the race relations, yeah. But I'd be honest, there wasn't, there really wasn't, at the forefront of my mind when he went into office, what I wanted him to work on. So, where well, to be at the forefront of your mind when you go back <laughs> to that cotton field? Okay. Well, you know what, Nathan? I'm a little lighter than you, so I'll be in the house. You know how you're gonna? No, be you're gonna be in. You're gonna be. In, they don't do that no more. Well, let, well, let me let me let me leave some clarification on that one too, y'all. Because the truth be told, even if you were in the house versus the fields, sometimes it's still hard work. certain perspective. You got the worst end of the deal. Yep. Oh, Lord. Okay, we're going to move on to our... um, Let's let's just move (laughs) on to our hot topics. (laughs) Um, Liz, what's going on with your story? Well, actually, I think Liz will be joining us later. So, Will, why don't you share um, that one? Um. Well, it's about the Confederate flag. This is an issue mm. that has been ever since, what, I think it was before the church in South Carolina, but the the, the Confederate flag, the recent removal and the ban on the display of the Confederate, Confederate flag from the federal land and the symbols and displays from other area. I wanted to ask you guys, you know, how you feel about it, because a lot of people are um, combative about whether it represents something, or some people think it's a part of their history and that it should be left alone. But you know, all across the country, things are flags are coming down. So I want to ask you, you know, do you think that it's a symbol of racism, or you know, are its supporters justified in saying that this is just a symbol of American history and that it should be displayed and celebrated? What do you guys think about that? Now you know, Alicia, oftentimes when I answer oh, questions. It's a two-parter. Sometimes I'm just not, I just feel like some stuff is not black and white. There's a gray area. Um, I've had this discussion before with Caucasian Americans. I'll say some of my friends that are Caucasian. And honestly, I remember having this discussion back in high school. So it's been all the way back then. And honestly, there were some to the, the core of them. The Confederate flag was a part of their history. They did not celebrate it with any type of racist connotation. And until we had an open discussion, for them, they could not understand why, as an African-American, that symbol was so um, demeaning, why why we had so much, some of us, I should say, because all African-Americans don't feel the same about that, but why so many of us had an issue with that symbol, because to them it was, for them it was like the American flag. It was a part of history of the South that they wanted to celebrate. 
they saw no offense or any offense being given. So for those people, I can I can understand that. But also, when we know the ties that it has to racism and the death of African Americans, certainly you can understand why that symbol can be viewed as a racist symbol. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to add any other um, label to it. However, I think that all of this action for the removal and to ban it, I'm sorry, I think it was a political move. Because even here in the state of Virginia, now we're talking about, you know, using DMV to go and all the Confederate uh, flag plates to, to you know, move it. where you take them away. And now yeah. people have to start replacing their plates. But you know what? If you're using that as a symbol of racism, I can get a bumper sticker. You you know, if I if I want to, and then it's not just a symbol, it's what's in your heart. So if I want to display that racist mentality and, and that demonstrative attitude, I can do that without having the flag or whatever. I think too much attention has been given to doing that versus addressing the actual problem. And I have to piggyback on that. I could care less about the damn flag. I would prefer you. for them to deal with. <laughs> Go ahead, Danielle. I would prefer them to deal with the race issues that we have in this country and not worry so much about putting so much energy in removing a flag. But I've noticed that we have made a trend in this country to try to be politically correct because there was also a topic about the Redskins or, yes, <laughs> and and mm-hmm. not wanting to disrespect that heritage by having that name. So we put a lot of energy on, like, a symbol of something. Instead of dealing with the issues of the people who have that hate and are out in the community affecting other people's lives because they are racist. So if, if you are going to not have a power, like a position where you can come and be prejudiced towards me and you feel like the flag is the thing to have, then rock your flag. But don't rock your flag and then be a police officer out here and mistreat Mm. me because of the color of my skin. That's when I have a problem. So you, you, you want the flag? Enjoy your flag. But don't go get into positions and use that role to disrespect me. That's my problem. And then y'all know they only started the Confederate flag crap to decoy us from what was going on in South Carolina. Rich. Come on now, Rich. Come on, Nate. The so big and so strong, and then we don't forget all about the people that died. Well. That's what they do. They give well. us other situations to take our focus from the real situation. And as Danielle said, they don't need no flag to be nasty. Exactly. <laughs> they don't be nasty regardless. <laughs> These police officers don't come out the fl- out their cars with their flags on their boots. Mm-mm. They don't pull out their flag before they kill you. They just kill you. <laughs> Definitely. You know what, Nate? I'm I'm feeling that I'm in my sorry. spirit. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you know you go and preach, Pastor. Preach. I feel that <laughs> in my spirit. And you know, there was another issue while we're talking about that topic. Actually, I'm going to let Danielle handle that. But, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter thing, here we go again. Definitely. Um, This has recently been in the news, like, all over the place. And it's regarding the protesters who disrupted Bernie Sanders' speech. He was a Democratic, uh, I think he's running for office, and he had some speech. And they came and 
interrupted his speech, basically protesting Black Lives Matter. And there was this big discussion about um, if what they did was effective or should they have done it differently. And my perception is that they did exactly what they needed to do to get the attention that they needed to get. Because if they would have quietly stood on the side saying Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter, then (laughs) there would have been no news coverage. They wouldn't be talking about it. (laughs) Y'all wrong for that. Black Lives Matter. You know you got to be peaceful and have the the hymn to go with. You know, hallelujah. They would have been like, look at the nice black people, and they would have kept on doing what they were doing. But because these sisters got on stage and let them know we about to interrupt this right now and let y'all know we here. It was on every news station. I couldn't flip the channel without seeing my sisters on TV. Okay. Can I can I y'all know I got to y'all know I got to go there. Um I know the two don't sound like they are anything to do with each other. But I remember a discussion we had some episodes back. I think it was Nate, Will and myself. Well, we were talking about this new television show, I think it was on, well, I'm not going to say the network, but it was about these men who wanted to be part of a dance group, and they were dressing very flamboyant. They were gay men, and what they would do is just, you know, bombard events where they were not invited, Uh and they would just and we had this discussion about, you know, whether it was the issue of them standing up for themselves and being proud of who they are and demonstrating their talents versus were you rude because you're, you know, showing up at places where you're not invited and just taking over. This is one of those things I'm just like, you know, this is a Democratic pres- you know, presidential candidate. Many of the issues that you're dealing with and you're standing up for for Black Lives Matter he probably had something as part of his platform to address. So I don't think, um, you know, the same way I agree, you have to do certain things to get attention, and if you're going to be on the sidelines quietly, you're not going to get attention. But I think this was not the appropriate time for you to interrupt him and his platform where, where he is trying to talk about what he wants to do positive for the country. Because I asked the same question, had this been President Obama at the time that he was trying to go um, for a presidential candidate, if we had interrupted him, let's say it was the KKK, would that have been okay? You have a presidential candidate who's trying to tell you what they intend to do positive for this country if they're elected. Would it have been okay for them to interrupt his campaign with KKK uh, rally or whatever they wanted to do. So while I respect the the Black Lives Movement and what these ladies were trying to accomplish by getting attention, don't think it was the right time for you to do that. Unless you wanted to interrupt Donald Trump. Now, you could have done that. I wouldn't have <laughs> But don't interrupt. <laughs> Alicia, the they candidate. have interrupted so much of our own campaigns and stuff with their own agenda. So, like Danielle said, if we want our voice to be heard, we can stand on the sidelines and yell, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> well, let me just put it this way. If I have an event, don't you dare. Don't you do it. That's why I'm, thank you. Thank you. You just <laughs> give me my invitation. My event, boo. 
Because, honey, it oh, is not Lord. your time to be on stage. It is mine. So you sit it down, or I'm going to shut it down. Thank you. And that's all I got to say okay. about that. Well, what you okay. think? I mean, I don't really think much about it. It's just, I mean, I, I agree with the cause. <laughs> okay. Of course, that's just one of the reasons why a lot of people don't take us as a people serious, because that's how we do things. Or that's how they expect us to do things. Mm-hmm. They were out of order. Um if they really wanted their, their the movement and them to be taken seriously, they should have done it like Dr. Martin Luther King did back in the day. Been in order. What? People would have respected that and listened to their Thank cause. You. They were just trifling, and you know. Okay. I have to disagree, though, because I feel like if, if they were quiet and did it, because we've been marching, we've been speaking, we've been attempting to do it that way, and we are still not making progress. So it's like so that was the proper way to do it? people... It wasn't proper, but they were heard, and they were heard okay. on and it made on news. It made TV. Exactly, they would it not have been news. on the news that way. It oh, would have been a story we, that would have. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. This is Shay. Um, the King. I don't know what people feel like he did. He was disruptive. I have no idea why people forget that he was disruptive. He disrupted all types of peaceful things, but he disrupted it peacefully. When they disrupted this event, they didn't disrupt this event to just be rowdy, to just be raucous. As a matter of fact, if you watch the video, they weren't particularly Mm -hmm. rowdy, other than saying they wanted to speak. They weren't rowdy when they they jumped at the podium? Well, maybe I'm looking at the wrong video. That's not not what you it. They're not particularly rowdy. They stepped up to the podium. They, they did grab step. the mic. That's not rowdy. Okay. But what, I guess happened it's was, what happened was is they wanted to speak because of the idea of so many Democratic or left liberals who feel like they're actually addressing racial issues, and they're not. Mm-hmm. And the only thing they do is Band-Aid. Putting a band aid oh. over it with a little bit of a little bit better. Don't worry about the infection. And that the, whole infection idea that that, the whole idea that if we're just respectable enough, we'll be heard, that's been disproven time and time again. Agreed. So we're going back to because the Because we've never days. been invited to the table. Well, never. Okay. Even as the well, president, as we still can. wasn't invited to the table. This just actually popped into my head, listening to you guys speak and how you're thinking. Someone asked me a question. I was just like, I dismissed it. I was like, are you crazy? We, we've come too far. They were like, well, do you think that we're headed towards a war of races? And the way you're speaking, the way I'm interpreting it, is that you feel like we are. Mm-hmm. Lord. It's already begun. I, I don't see a, a war. war of races? Oh, my God. Are we going back to that? I don't. I don't see a war I, because I talk about this all the time, and I have white friends. I have Hispanic friends. I have friends from the Philippines who feel the very same way I do. So I don't see it as a us against them. They see that there is a problem, too, that needs to be addressed. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much us coming collectively to come up with a way to fix it and not let a small percentage of people who believe a certain way, who have powers, to make mm-hmm. the decisions for the majority of us. Because there are mm-hmm. more people who are, I believe, against this than who are for it. 
and we just have to figure out how we are going to collectively make a change. It doesn't have to be a race war to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get that. Well, you guys we are all very, very wow. passionate Y'all about this smart. conversation. We have That's why I have this awesome opinions. panel. Yes, <laughs> so we have to get to a commercial break so we can let some other people jump in and chime yes. in with their perspectives on the matter. So we're going to head over to a commercial break, and we'll be right back. This is Let's Face It Radio. What's up? This is Edge Martinez for Life Beat. The music industry fights AIDS. Every hour of every day, two young people are infected with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. Don't be one of them. Protect yourself. If you choose to have sex, use a latex condom. If you need to get tested, call your local AIDS service agency. For more information, go log on to www.lifebeat.org. Hey, y'all, Cedric the Entertainer here with Niecy Nash, taking a break from shooting the Soul Man to introduce you to Patience. Hi. Patience is a patient at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for anything because all a family should worry about is helping their child live. St. Jude won't give up until they end childhood cancer, sickle cell, and other deadly diseases. Because of you, there is St. Jude. Learn more at stjude.org. You're listening to Let's Face It, one of the hottest talk radio shows on the web. Are you looking for more exposure for your brand, product, event, or special story? Let's Face It Radio is the place for you. We're also seeking guest experts specializing in sex and relationships, health and wellness, politics, law, spirituality and religion, just to name a few. Looking for low-cost marketing opportunities? Well, look no further. We offer multiple advertising campaigns via website ads or audio commercial opportunities played live during the show. Visit www.letsfaceitradio.com and complete the appropriate contact form for more information. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Nate Whitfield, and you're listening to Let's Face It Radio. I am so excited about our first guest. Um, His name is Demarcus Taylor. He's a 26-year-old black entrepreneur that is an inspirational speaker, creative writer, and author. He's working on his first book, so y'all be looking out for that. And he's also a holistic life coach. Please, please, y'all, welcome with me, Mr. Demarcus Taylor, to the show. Hello, everyone. Hey, DeMarcus, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Great. We are good. We are good. Being on being black in America. (laughs) (laughs) This is Alicia Brown. And just listening to Nate do the intro, there's quite a lot that it seems like you're, you're working on, you've accomplished for someone so young. Can you share with us, as a young black male, what led to you becoming an inspirational speaker, a writer, as well as a holistic life coach? Oh, yes. Wow. Um, To start with, I would say just many obstacles and barriers that I had to face at an early age in life. And, of course, being a young black man, you know, the stereotype, overcoming the stereotype of being a young black man is priceless. And mm. I walk that in life every day. Mm-hmm. So 
as a young guy, you know, I played football. Uh, football was my life. That's all that's what I had. In my community, it was either you go into the NFL or you selling drugs. And when that stopped for me, I ended up selling drugs. So going through the selling drugs process, I thought that's all I had. Until one day I ended up meeting God. And God was like, hey. This is this is not you. This is not the plan that I have for you. This is not your purpose. You will not stand here in spite of everything you're going through in your circumstance. So I could get in depth on everything I went through, but y'all got to take the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> and something yeah, I you mentioned, I want to... I said, go ahead. Something you mentioned I wanted to just ask you about. You said it's being a... Young black man, it, it's it's either drugs or the NFL, and you were talking about the things that you experienced as a young black male. Could you make that plain to people that may not understand the issue? Just bottom line, what would you say life as a young black male, some of the stereotypes and things you constantly face? Okay. Um, as for one, I'm from Mississippi, uh, so I'm from the bottom of the map, from a small town called Enterprise, Mississippi, where when when you look at it being black, you, you don't know how to read, uh, you can't comprehend well, uh, you don't know how to manage a, a budget money, uh, you're a thief. And, you know, it, it's, it's sad to say all these things, but these are the stereotypes that we as young black people Endure every day, and once I moved to Hampton, Virginia, and mm-hmm. Newport News area, I, I see this so often where people are just—it's—it's it's amazing how people look at our race, even in stores while we're shopping, or just being out on the streets, people grabbing their purses, holding tight, running, blocking the doors, and all these type of of things that I, I really didn't experience in. Mississippi because, you know, we're we're welcome in hospitality state, but there's still racism that that will hold you to this type of stigma. Mm-hmm. And but what I mean by overcoming these stereotypes like me, I'm I'm a diverse guy. I have friends from all over and you can't just look at my appearance and be like, Hey, that's the type of guy he is because one day I may be dressed in a bow tie and a three-piece suit, and the next day I may have on camouflage shorts with some Jordans on and, you know, jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> and I do this purposely because you need to understand my character, have a conversation with me to realize who I am instead of just looking at me, yeah, he's a thug. Yeah, I may have been a thug before, but that's not who I am today. All right. So that's- All right. So, DeMarcus, you have an organization. Yes, this is Nate. You have an organization called True Beginnings. Tell us what True Beginnings is. True Beginnings is, and what's your role you play in the organization? Okay, um, actually, I'm the coordinator of True Beginnings. The uh, director, her name is Vera Moore, a wonderful lady. Uh, I commend her on her heart, on how she actually reaches out to this community. But True Beginnings is, it's, it's where we offer a true beginning to returning citizens and their families by assisting with overcoming work readiness obstacles that prevent them from reclaiming their right for productivity lives within American society. So um, 
we reach out to the community. People may be homeless. Uh, people may have felony convictions or misdemeanor convictions, and they feel like they can't get jobs. So we connect them. We connect them with other employees around the community, and we try to inspire them to have a high quality of life no matter what happened to them in their life. You know, you're not where you are right now for no purpose. You were there for a reason and to overcome that reason. So I try to – we have uh, um, Mondays and Wednesdays, we have workshops for men. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have workshops for women. And usually about two-hour sessions. In between those times, I take care of the men on Monday, Wednesday, and I'm constantly just trying to paint this positive self-image of them. And I'm, I'm inspiring them to be a better person, to reach out to a high quality of life. Like, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter where you come from, no matter what barriers, barriers or obstacles that are in front of you right now, you can be what you want to be. And I believe that. Exactly. That's a little bit of how we do right now, and it's been quite successful. Uh, the numbers have doubled within the year. Uh, we went from uh, what 120 people to like 360 people that have been employed. So numbers are growing. Okay. Well, based on your current roles and ways you serve the community, especially with the organization True Beginnings, but some of the things you also do as an entrepreneur outside, um, what would you say that black men can do to alleviate some of the suffering within their own communities? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, Me personally, uh, as a young black man, to alleviate some of the suffering in our communities, we must be an example to our future generation. We must continue to live as a positive image, you know, in spite of these circumstances and labels and stigmas that we have been trapped in. So I honestly believe we must strive when facing opposition because it will begin to stretch you. And when it stretches you, you become this supernatural person that you never thought that you could be. Like, you'll you be like, hold up, I overcame that. Why can't I overcome this? Yes. Now my character has, has elevated through the roof. Like now I'm someone that I can't be stopped. No matter what's right. going on in the world, racism, all these other criticism, like turn your catastrophe into a masterpiece. Mm. Turn your catastrophe into a masterpiece. Exactly. <laughs> Wow. So based okay. upon your personal and professional life, do you believe racism is an issue that needs to be addressed? Yes. Yes. Coming uh, <laughs> from being raised in Mississippi, I have I have experienced racism across the board. And it definitely should be addressed. Like it seems like for a moment in time, like racism has started being mellowed out. And over the past few months, I don't know if it's me, but it's like racism has went through the roof. Exactly. As if we're walking through the civil rights movement, that time area. And I'm I'm actually, I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I feel like the system should, we should be over this right now. 
But I'm not the type of person to say, let's retaliate, let's do this. Mm-hmm. I believe that Dr. Martin Luther King, he seen that vision and dream, and he understood that, hey, God, as a black society, we must be knowledgeable on things that we go through. Like, we must be knowledgeable on our situations, on our rights, or anything that is entitled to us. But as long as we're not knowledgeable on it, we will continue to experience racism and let it bother us. Because guess what? If I know that, hey, I can own a business, hey, I can do this, I can uh, I can do everything that, not just in the white race, but I can, just, I can do anything that the other races are doing if I put my mind to it. But as long as I sit back and say, hey, the man's not going to let me do that. The man's mm. not me. It's not. It's impossible for me. But that's what you need to understand. That even impossible says I'm possible. Mm-hmm. And mm. but it's, yeah. it's 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 mind blowing, guys. But we must stay positive and work through this. We must stay positive oh. and work through. This. Awesome, Demarcus. This is Will. How are you? I'm doing well. So how are you? I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty good. I have a question for you. Now, this is actually something, a debate that I've had with friends and clients and family members. So I want to ask you, um, because the question is, you know, whether all of the things that we see in the the media now is new. And, you know, I I actually question them about that because I don't think it's really necessarily new, although I do believe there's an increase of it. But I think that we're just now seeing a lot more of it. My question to you is, what role has social media played in sustaining the Black Lives Movement and then highlighting the injustices that are now taking place? What, what do you think that has to do with it, the social media aspect? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, today, we know that social media, uh, you can be heard in a matter of seconds. Right, exactly. Mm. And it's, it's a, a huge plus, and I feel like it plays a substantial role. This role, it allows us to see what's going on everywhere. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of an event that actually took place in my hometown and uh, Enterprise Stonewall, Mississippi place. We um, It's a guy named Jonathan Sanders. He was actually murdered by a cop not too long ago. Uh, from riding a horse, he was choked out by a cop. From a flashlight. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, I'm not sure if it, I know it reached a few uh, famous people, retweeted a few things and tweeted about it, but I'm not sure if you all knew about it. But, I didn't hear about that. I, yeah. I look on my social media, it's fine. I look on my social media every day and I see something going on about a police officer doing this, a police mm-hmm. officer doing that, or anything mm-hmm. that just has to do with black lives and the movement. And it plays a huge role. It plays a, a substantial amount of role. Like I, I can't even fathom on how big that role plays. And I feel like in order for us to be heard, we, we must stick together and continue doing that. Wow. Well, DeMarcus, you've given so much good information. And, of course, I feel like just in these few minutes we had with you, you really encouraged and, and enlightened us on this topic. Um, I like a lot of the things you said, but definitely we have to get out there 
And the more that we, we press on, the more that we do things and understand that we are able, then the, you know, higher our vision is. But how can our listeners get in contact with you? Oh, yes. Uh, you can actually follow me on Twitter at underscore TaylorMay6. Even on Instagram, I have Taylor underscore Conjure. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R underscore D-O-N-J-U-R-E. And my Facebook account is Demarcus Taylor Conjure. That's D E M A R C U S T A Y L O R C O N J U R E. And my cell phone number is 601 880 9288. I'm open to anyone. Uh, I feel like I will be in full not to accept some of the things that some people pass towards me, like me missing out on my blessings. And I want to thank everybody for allowing me this opportunity. You're welcome. I, I'm greatly appreciated. And I'm a huge fan of Let's Face It Radio. Well, like <laughs> thank, thank you. We always like huge fans. Nothing yes, wrong with yes. that. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. I feel like you guys are doing an awesome thing, and it's actually it's going to grow like beyond your imagine. Awesome. And I received that, that, brother. Yes, thank you. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, we thank you for coming on tonight. Um, definitely, we're we're trusting and believing this is not the last that we're going to hear of you and exactly. what you're doing. And, of course, as an author, good luck on that first book. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm working. I'm about to go work on it right now when I get out. Okay. <laughs> and make sure you let us know so we can we can advertise and tell them. Y'all heard it here first. Go buy his book. <laughs> yes, Alicia, yes, you're... you're um, your event really and truly inspired me, and I just want to thank you for that. I, I really do. Oh, I appreciate God. it so much. Praise God. Well, that's okay. We'll we'll have another one. Maybe next time we'll have Let's Face It there. If Mr. Yes. Strayhorn could come to the East End 45 minutes away and bring it to the <laughs> But but we're not gonna go there right now. We we're not gonna go there right now. We just gonna pray on it. Please. But again, Demarcus, thank you for coming, and definitely you have a good evening. And just you thank you. Thank you all. Have a blessed night. You, you too. too. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So much good great. information there. Yeah, good information. And really how we can just make a difference by we we got to remain positive. That that stuff with me that we have to remain positive. I'm gonna say about who's up next after that. <laughs> And Miss Shay? I muted myself, sorry. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to unmute. This is Shay Malone, and our next guest, Donnell Booth, is a third-year Ph.D. student at American University. She studies African-American history. Her research interest is transnational black political organizing. She received her undergraduate degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and her master's degree in Africana Studies from Cornell University in 2011. Donnell is a strong supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement and all movements that embrace increased political power and better life and health outcomes for black people. Welcome, Donnell. Hello. How are you? 
I'm doing great. How are you all? Wonderful. Doing fantastic this evening. Um, pretty well. If we could start off, if you could just tell us about your personal experience as a black woman in America. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, um, about this question, and, and it's huge, huge question, like what's, what's the black woman experience in America. So, you know, I'm just going to give you guys a, a, a couple of things that I think kind of sums it up. And I think being a black woman in America is many things. It's beautiful. It's sad. It's tragic. It's fun. It's, you know, mm-hmm. funny, you know. Um, it's it's all of that, and I think that's really the beauty of it. You know, I wouldn't want to be anything other than a black woman, although some days are really, really heavy. You know, and as we go through all the things, seeing all the stuff in the news about the Black Lives Matter movement, you really see the heavy stuff of it too. But I think a lot of activists have also been talking about black joy, you know, seeing us have a good time, seeing us happy and smiling. I think that's also equally important. Um, and so I think, you know, if you talk about a black woman's experience in America, like I have my own particular experience, but it's filled with all of those things. And, and I really thank God for all of those things. Amen. Well, this is Alicia Brown. And first, I do want to send my condolences to both you and the American University family um, mm. over the recent mm-hmm. loss of our civil rights pioneer, um, Mm -hmm. as well as an actual professor at the university, Julian Bond. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you have someone like that that's teaching the faculty, it's such a blessed experience. Mm -hmm. But then to have someone like that that passes in this world, it it, it has to be difficult. Um, But I, I did want to ask you, how have you been able to successfully navigate through poverty to become an Ivy League educated Ph.D.? Ph.D. student. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of times people who are successful, you know, or have a certain level of success will answer that question and, you know, and talk about all the hard work they did and how, you know, they put in the work and then, you know, and they got the results. And I think that um, that's certainly true in my case, but I think that, you know, in America and as a black woman in America, you can't get anywhere without an, an amazing support of family, friends, and community. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at my 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 travels from from the, the projects in Lynch, of Lynchburg, Virginia, you know, a small southern town, okay. and, you know, near, nearly rural Virginia to, to all the places that I've been able to go and experience. Like, I know that it, you know, came from my grandmama, came from my mama, grandpa, cousins, and them, like, just a whole, like, brothers and sisters, just a network of people looking out for me at different points and, and coaching me and giving me the mentoring that I needed, you know. Um, and also, you know, in in America, as a black person in America, a lot of it is also luck, you know. And I and I hate to say that because I I want to believe in the American dream, but but a lot of it is also luck. It's like I was lucky enough to go to a public school that was halfway decent, so I could get the rudiments that I could then build upon. I was lucky enough to have the mother that I did to create a stable home environment so that I could come home and study, and it was a place where I could actually accomplish those things. Lucky enough to have, you know, her put me, if she didn't know something, to put me in contact with somebody who did know something, a person who come up to me and say, hey, you know, I think you're you're good for this scholarship. I think you should apply. You know, so I think mm. that, you know, there's there's a lot of times people say, you know, America, you can come and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But, and there's some of that. You know, I won't, I won't completely disregard that, but, but, a lot of it is also luck, and, and I think that it doesn't have to be that. I think America has the resources and the ability to really give people the opportunity to be able to go where their wings will take them. Um, but we right. don't have that kind of society right now. And I think that, it, you know, a, part, a lot of what the Black Lives Matter movement is doing is really kind of showing that, like, 
you know, what we see on TV. I don't know about, you know, I'm, I'm you know, kind of showing my age a little bit, but I grew up watching, like, Family Matters and, and you know, yes. you know, all these shows about people. You know, you see, like, oh, snap, you know, let me, you know, do the school thing, and I'm going to get me a house like that, be like the Winslows, you know. Um, but it, it, don't, it don't necessarily work like that. And I think, I think it's, it's really important for us to kind of come to terms about what actually exists in American society. That's right. But, you know, I just wanted to interject this because I'm getting a text. Um, all those people uh-huh. that you you think so much, um, mm-hmm. you know, your upbringing and everything, I'm getting a text from your twin that said you didn't mention her. <laughs> I sure did. I sure did. I came in there and I said siblings too. I surely did because I knew she was listed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to, you know, I, I got a co-host here like, she didn't yes, say I did. <laughs> But, okay, I, I just want to put that out there. So I'm going to let, let them go ahead with the next question. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> oh, you gotta love family. Ooh, gotta I'm love sorry. family. Hi, Donnell. This is Liz. Hi. Um, my question is: Has the breakdown of families caused issues primarily in the Black community? So I think that's a good question, and I think it's something that people talk about a lot. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, when I think about this question, I think it puts a lot of emphasis on, like, disorder in, in black families. You know, we don't oftentimes have families that, that meet the, the nuclear mold that we see on TV that's supposed to be, like, the ideal family. You know, and so we don't have that. So we think, okay, you know, so we're, we're, we're bound for, for dysfunction in our, in our communities. But I actually don't think that that's the real culprit. I actually think we have bigger problems and deeper problems with, you know, systemic poverty you know, mass incarceration and, 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 and drugs in our community, and, and those are structural problems um, that, that are at the state and national level. Those aren't, like, intrinsic problems to black people. And you could go anywhere in the world where there are people who are impoverished and see those same things, you know, with very different structures, you know, and some of them have the nuclear structure of families. So I think that, you know, we, you know, and this is not to say we don't have issues in our families. Like, you know, like all human beings, we have interpersonal problems and we have to figure out ways to work through those things. You know, and having access to resources, access to to people who can help you think through these things, whether it be, you know, your pastor or a counselor or a therapist or whatever, are are really crucial. You know, but but we're living oftentimes in in communities that are impoverished and we do not have access to those things. You know, you're trying to, you know, say, okay, you know, me and my family are struggling. You know, somebody who's who's dealing with drug abuse, I want to get them some therapy. You better have some good insurance because if you don't, there's not an option available to you. And so I think that, you know, we're dealing with really serious structural problems, and too many times people want to look and see, look at those problems that black people have in their communities without, like, thinking about what are some of the structural things, you know, and so that's why I think it's really important for us to organize to get access to the resources that can help us help ourselves, you know. I think we can we can have stronger and even better families that we have right now. I think we do have issues that we need to work through, but I don't think that those are the, the central problems in our, in our black community. Mm. Mm. That's a really great point. Uh, this is Shay. Hi. And hi. Um, <laughs> the Black Lives Matter movement was created by three uh, black women, Alicia Garza, mm-hmm. Patrice Cullors, and Op- Opal Hamedi, after George Zimmerman's acquittal for Trayvon Martin's death. Women have been organizing marches, die-ins, protests, and other otherwise leading various responses to police brutality. Why do you think women are playing such a key role in today's movement? Off all those, the, the black women who uh, did all these 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 or, uh, activities to, to to kick off the Black Lives Matter movement, and my first thought was yes. And the reason <laughs> for that is because like you know they're getting the attention that they deserve, and, and oftentimes, especially in history, um, 
black women don't get the shine that we deserve because it doesn't surprise me at all that black women are at the forefront of this movement because we, in, in the history of American history, which is what I study, black women have always been there and, and performing a leading role in it. Now, when it comes to writing the history books, we don't necessarily always get that shine. You know, you got people like yes. Ella Baker, who was instrumental in the organization of SNCC. You know, you have Diane Nash, who was, you know, one of the founding members with Julian Bond, you know, God rest his soul, who, who was there putting together these structures to help us get a better society, help agitate for, for the changes that we need in society. You know, we got people like writing Rosa Parks' history, like all she did was sit on the bus, when actually she was a community organizer in the heart of the Deep South, doing work that was very, very dangerous to her to, to um, uncover rapes that white men were perpetuating against black women, you know, with, and, and they were getting away with it, you, you know, because there was no protection for black women and black bodies, you know, so Rosa Parks wasn't just a tired woman that sat on the bus, but the way that our history is written and given to us, you know, would make us believe that, you know, we would just kind of, you know, kind of docile and we got tired one day when, no, that wasn't it at all. Black women have always been in the forefront, so Black Lives Matter movement is like, it's the same thing, you know. We just been doing what we've been doing for for since we've been here, you know, because we have to survive. And as black women, you know, we catch, you know, as Malcolm X would say, we catch hell, you know, and we catch from well. all different sides, you know, racism, sexism, poverty. You have a kid, you know, have more than one kid. One kid can can put you in poverty. Two, you're probably seven right. you're going to be there, you know. So you're going to deal with incredible obstacles. So it's like you're going to lay down and just, you know, be oppressed, or you're going to stand up and fight and and. And this moment in time, black women are standing up and fighting, you know, and I, yes. I think it's a beautiful thing, you know. Well, now that you definitely, I love all the knowledge you're sharing. But <laughs> as a black woman in America, because we need to hear it, uh-huh. you know, yeah. as a black woman in, in America and, and, and actually hearing all your accomplishments and even now as a Ph.D. student, what mm-hmm. do you want your legacy to be? You know, I was listening to to the the conversation that you guys were having, and you know, you're talking about all the different current events that are happening, and about this idea of progress. And in American history, there's uh, what, we, what we call a trope. All right, so it's like a theme that you can see about how history is written. It's this idea that the United States is constantly improving. It's an exceptional country built in exceptional circumstances, and we're constantly getting better. Um, but when you get to, to the, the graduate level, they make you question everything. And one of the things they yeah. have you question is this idea of continual American progress. And, and, and what I'm seeing, actually, is, is kind of an interesting kind of spiral that's happening. You know, so we can spiral up right, to a different circumstance, so we could spiral back down to places where we were. And we're, we're un- unfortunately, in my estimation, in a moment of spiraling down. You know, people would talk about after the Civil War there was the Reconstruction, and that was supposed to be the thing that was going to get black people full rights and to be, you know, fully full partners in American society, and it didn't work. We had Jim Crow, you know, and then Jim Crow lasted, and then we had the second Reconstruction Civil Rights, and that was supposed to be the thing to get us full rights. And, and here we are now in 2015, and, and we still have, you know, People who Sandra Bland being being dying under mysterious circumstances when she was arrested and shouldn't have never been arrested to begin with because she had the audacity to assert her 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 her, her desire to be respected as a human being, you know, um, even in the face of a police officer. So I think that you know we're in a moment right now where you know. We could, we could improve, you know, if we have the conversations you guys were talking earlier before about, like, where the political political correctness is preventing people from even having the conversations, that's really dangerous. The conversations is where you can move, that's where you can figure out, okay, you know, 
my experiences have me thinking a particular way. What are other ways I can think about this? But we don't even get there if we don't have the conversations with each other. So we got to have the conversations, which means we got to get uncomfortable. In America, we don't like, everybody wants to feel like they're good, they're good people, right. you know, and so we don't even want to broach the conversation. But if you look at the history of humanity, the, the to me the moral of the story is that anybody can be a villain. And you don't have to be an intrinsically evil person to do evil things. In Nazi Germany, there were lots of nice people who just let the government do what it did, you know, so I think that, you know, Americans should take heed to that and, and think, okay, we have to actively work for the, the just society we imagine. If we really want a democracy, then we actually have to put in work as individual citizens to make sure that it's operating as such and, you know, and, and the richest 1% aren't just, you know, running amok, which really is the case here in, in the United States right now, and it's having all of these residual problems. All right, so we're, you know, all the rest of us, 99% are, are busy fighting each other as opposed to thinking about, okay, you know, how, what are better ways that we can make sure that we're respecting everybody's humanity and the, the country, right, that we're here supporting, you know, with our taxes, with our energy, with our, our sons and daughters in the military. Like, how can we make sure that it's serving us, but all of us, you know, I think. So I think we're in a moment where uh, we could spiral up or we could spiral down. So so I say all that to say that, like, when I think about my legacy, my goal is to, to be very carefully thinking about how I am and how I'm operating, how I'm moving in the society to make sure that I'm not being a villain on any given day because I think it really is that simple. It's a person's, every person's individual actions are, are what's going to affect this collective whole. I know that is the American experiment, and it really is just that, like, you know. So I think we, I think we can be better people. I think we can be a better nation, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. And I don't believe anybody who's who pushes that idea that you know America is good just because it is. You know, so that's a long answer, but <laughs> that's how I think it's it. all right. It's good. Well, Donna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you tell us how our listeners can follow you and learn more sure. information about the movements and causes? Absolutely. So, you know, um, so I, I, I would send everybody to check out the, the Black Lives Matter website because um, um, I really am a strong supporter of the things that they do. If you want to see, you know, things that I'm working on, you can follow me at Twitter. It's at um, Danielle Boo, so that's D-O-N-E-L-L-E-B-O-O-S-E, one word, um, and you can catch, you know, daily thoughts I have about history and, and contemporary things. I have a my um, research interest blend politics, contemporary politics, but also um, historical legacies in the United States. Um, very, very interested in how black people in America have connected with folks internationally because a lot of times when the federal government hasn't been responsive to the needs, we've been, we've been organizing with other people in other places um, who are dealing with similar circumstances, and it's been an effective form of political organization. So those are the things that I study. So, you know, at Danielle Booz at, uh, on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all the information you gave. And just coming on and, again, giving us that female perspective. Oh, thank um, you for having me. Well, we, we thank you. And <laughs> have an awesome night. And, of course, we, we love to hear from you again. Certainly, certainly. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, team, um, again, I, I can't say enough about these last two guests. They have been doing an awesome job. Definitely we have the young black male perspective as well as the young female perspective. But when we come back, and I still encourage you, the phone lines are open, 1713-955-0793, press 1. We're going to hear from two men that are just phenomenal in the society. 
definitely Dr. Anipas Harris, and then we will also be hearing from Mr. Mikhail Kelly. You're listening to Let's Face It, and we'll be right back. The odds of becoming a signed artist and having four number one albums, one in 100 million. The odds of going on to win seven Grammy Awards, one in 1.4 million. The odds of this performer having a child diagnosed with autism, one in 68. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Autism Speaks, it's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hey, Dr. Phil here. You know, I help people solve difficult problems every day, but one problem has me stumped, childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. Luckily, the Feeding America network of local food banks collects surplus food, giving hope to hungry children and their families. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Let's face it, I'm your host, Will Strayhorn. My next guest coming up, I've, I've met this young gentleman about probably sometime last year. He's actually on the same team. with uh, we, we share the same publicist, Dr. Antipas yes. Harris. Oh, my goodness. Um, he's a man of many talents. He's a, a preacher, a consultant, a motivational speaker, a theologian, a community leader, a writer. He's also a friend of this show. Um, last time he was on the show, he was up here with my brother, actually, um, and some colleagues talking about the situation in Ferguson. And now he's back here again to continue the discussion. Please welcome to the show. Um, he's, I think he's probably one of the sharpest men in Hampton Roads, dress-wise, fashion-wise. Please welcome to the show Dr. Antipas Harris. Welcome to the show, Antipas. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for your kind inter- introduction. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm uh, glad to have you back on the show. Uh, I just wanted to know, I want to ask you, what does bravery mean to you as a black man in America today? Well, I think bravery means several things. One uh, has to do with, of course, uh, stepping out and daring to do something uh, that a um, few African-American men have, men have done uh, is always uh, a, a level of bravery uh, at a very social level because, uh, to be white in America, according to scientific evidence, is to experience a type of privilege. So uh, oftentimes when African-American men step out, start a business, go to college, do something significant, uh, even within our own community, uh, we struggle with the issue of crabs in a barrel, where you're trying to make it and there are those who you think would support you or sometimes very ones to try to pull you back or discourage you or say you're trying to be white or something. So uh, I don't know statistics on that sort of discouragement, but I do know I have lived that reality. So uh, that's one, uh, I think, category of what it means to be brave as a black man in America. But then there's another step. Uh, Ideological uh, racism exists, and it's often not discussed. Uh, But um, the way uh, I think that logic and the way people think is heavily uh, influenced by experiences. So oftentimes when African-Americans express themselves, 
an African-American man expresses ideas, it is often met with challenges. And I call that ideological racism when it doesn't fit within the status quo of the privileged white America. Um, so, like, for instance, um, why would I be involved in black in America or in Ferguson? And why is that important to me? Um, with who I am, where I, I am, what I do, uh, much like Martin Luther King Jr., why would you get a Ph.D. from Boston University and go back to Atlanta to deal with the uh, ordinary folks when he had other opportunities that were granted him? But the way he thought about his his um, his accolades uh, was just different from the way others perhaps who uh, uh, had his uh, accolades. So I think that there is a social type of bravery, but there's an ideological rate of bravery. So, Dr. Harris, what would uh-huh. you, this is Nate, by the way, um, what would you do when you're confronted by racism? Uh, well, it, I, I have to say that in, during my life, I, it has been, I've, I've experienced it in different ways. Uh, and depending on how I experience it, or perhaps in some cases how I deal with it, uh, I feel that I've been profiled by the police, but thankfully it wasn't to the extent that we see it in the news. Uh, but I will say that when I felt that I was being profiled, I I chose to cooperate um, because I thought it was better to fight later than try to fight now. Um, so that's one. Uh, and then there is the uh, issue of racism, and I've experienced it a lot in my academic journey. Uh, and my, the advice I got from my parents was one that I employed. That was take in the book now, cooperate, deal with it now, and write the book later. Um, because in those situations, I could my success could have been stifled and I could not have made it to where I am now. Uh, so in that case, and then there are, there are times when I feel the need to fight. Um, and in those cases, what I've tried to do, uh, because I feel that I experience a lot, particularly in theological field, uh, academic field of theology, not in the church, but academic field of theology, I encounter what I call ideological racism. And, I think that sometimes the expectation of the way I should think about God and life and the relationship of God with humanity is oftentimes set by categories of white America. And so when I feel that, I feel the need from an intellectual standpoint to to fight that. That's a mouthful right there. I have to I think about what you just said. Uh, Dr. Annapis Harris, this is Alicia Brown. Um And while we're on the topic of church, it has been said that one of the most segregated institutions in America is the actual church. And the most segregated hour in America is that 11 o'clock Sunday morning hour. Now, as a preacher, how do you feel the church can aid in bridging this gap? Well, I think think we we have obviously a lot of work to do. Uh, one of the challenges is that I don't think, I think, and I was listening to the conversation earlier, um, and I have two thoughts about the progress that we've made in society, and I think it's connected to 
this my answer to this question. Uh-huh. Uh, I think what we see on Sunday morning of a reflection of what really is. Um, and so the pro- the so-called process, progress that we have made has been largely because the minority groups are becoming the majority, not because people are necessarily changing. And uh, so a lot of what we see on Sunday morning is a reflection of the reality that people really don't want to coexist in the same space of worship that close together. Um, but people are, we have a forced reality and, um, and sometimes the status quo, I mean, um, uh, politically correctness when it comes to jobs and things like that. But I think the reality is that, uh, and, and I say that because I would believe we can overcome the Sunday morning segregation when I see more African-American pastors pastoring churches with equally the amount of white, Hispanic, and others in the congregation. Right now, most of the multicultural churches in America are led by white males. So I think that we cannot start to think that we're going to uh, integrate until we overcome some of these um, existing, continual existing uh, prejudices in society. Hmm. All right. So still on the same topic of the black churches. And churches, you know, the black church in general, was in the past used for educating, for training, and, you know, to help sustain the movement. What do you think has changed, and how do we get back there to that place? You mean what has changed from when to when? From from when, because from when the church was really used for educating and training and helping and you know sustaining the movement of the people back in the day when um, I know when I was growing up, those type things took place in churches. A lot of things now, um, the church has gotten away from those those core issues and the core core purposes that the church was created for. Have you have you noticed that in your walk? Oh yeah, yeah. That that has certainly been the case. Uh, we've had several shifts in our society as relates to. Um, uh, you know, the megachurch movement, television, opportunities with television, superstardom in the churches, and uh, and then the generational changes uh, where when we, the baby boomers and some of us uh, Gen Xs, while we know what it was like to work hard and to have right. yeah, a stick-to-itiveness, um, and we our faith was stronger because we were cultured in a society that suggested that Christianity was a faith and Sunday was the day to go to church. Now, of course, when I was growing up, it was changing, but it had not changed to the point that it has changed today. So I think a part of it has to do with all of that, from the the way churches self uh, the uh, perception about who the church is and what it means to have a successful church is oftentimes measured by a barometer of numbers rather than quality of individuals that are... Uh, that are nurtured spiritually. Um, so I think what we really need is a, I think it's part of the revival. We talk about a revival. When is the next revival? I truly believe the next revival is going to happen at a social-focused uh, level um, mm. when we start to realizing who the church is called to be as relates to the downing out in society. Right now, it's uh, we, we have um, what I call it's capitalistic Christianity, right? 
But I think those days right. are ending. I think there was a trend starting in the 80s and 90s, really the 90s, early 2000s, but that's shifting now. Uh, more of our millennials are being attracted to service-oriented ministries, and I think that that's going to be the future of the, the next revival that's going to cause all of that that you, that you mentioned as it relates to social engagement and and caring about poor and, and racial issues and uh, et cetera. I think that's really the future. So, Dr. Harris, with the Black Lives Matter movement going on, where do you see that in the future? And also, what role does the church put in its progress? Well, first I'd like to say I think I'm thankful for the Black Lives Matter movement uh, conceptually. I think the way that it has started to commercialize itself um, is quickly becoming something else. And the jury's still out. Um, but from what I my suspicion is that it could possibly get turned into this uh, commercialized taboo that it doesn't achieve what it really is set out to achieve with good intention. I think that some of the things that have been going on lately, you know, taking the microphone from um, the politician and things like that, uh, I'll, you know, I know they're heard and you can see it on television on every channel and everything, but what's really the goal? Is the goal really to be on every channel seeing you take the microphone from the guy or what are, what are we really trying to achieve? And I think until we understand what the goals and objectives are for the movement, we'll, it'll just get caught into all these little things that gain attention. And, you know, it's just like uh, the Mac, Mike Brown march. I mean, they have burned down the city pretty much last year. A year later, what has it really accomplished? Exactly. I mean, it took the media, it stole the media, but what did we achieve by that? And so I think what President Obama's response to that situation uh, was, we really need to listen to it. And that is, that's not how you get change. Taking microphones and all. I mean, you get attention, but that attention doesn't exactly. mean change. Exactly. So the question is, do you want attention or do you want to change? And exactly. I think that it, um, you can get both, but not like that. Um, and that's one. The second thing is, you got to be able to coalesce a wide variety of people to effectuate change. You can't be just you and a few of your friends who are bold to get up there and take the microphone. You you need to be able to organize a wide range of people. The, the way Martin Luther King Jr. became successful, he didn't just have black folks marching. He had exactly. white folks marching, he had Jews, and because people can yeah. get with the message and get behind it, and it doesn't exactly. compromise a personal in other words, if they're going to die, they're dying for something, not taking microphones and, and grabbing, you know, and throwing stuff and burning down cities. It's like that's not going to bring change. Well, so, Dr. Harris, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was about to say, so I think I like the idea of Black Lives Matter, but the way this is going, it, it's becoming quickly ghettoized. Exactly. <laughs> And Dr. Right. Harris, as a renowned preacher and motivational speaker, on that same line, how do you use your words and your platform to change the situation? Well, I do integrate a lot of social concerns in my preaching. Um, and when I am uh, opportunity for television, I like to try to infiltrate with a thought 
in some kind of way to penetrate the ideological superstructure of our society. People need that. Before you start doing, you got to have a developed way of thinking. And so sometimes I say, how are they thinking? Because I see a lot of emotionalism, a lot of confessional statements, but how, what, how are you thinking? And society changed. Martin Luther King Jr., the genius of Martin Luther King Jr. was that he was thoughtful. He was methodical, but he's also thoughtful. And we can listen yes. to him now, and we can glean because he, the wisdom in which he spoke. And he couldn't speak with that wisdom unless he was thoughtful. And what I and he was thoughtful because he studied, and he read, and he read broadly. And what what I really want to encourage people to do is read, study, develop thoughtful practices, and not just you know jumping on a bandwagon with ideas and things like that. Um, because when you do that, I mean, going back to Ferguson, burning down the city and carrying on. Okay, now that goes down in history that you had all these people down there burning down the city, but that was a very different outcome than, say, the Civil Rights Movement and Selma and things like that. Because while I do agree with the cause, I'm concerned because fewer people want to jump bandwagon and get ostracized for doing something like that without a clear outcome. Um, so I said that to say that I use my platform to try to help people to think differently and to confront the realities. Uh, so I'm not one to think that you shouldn't talk about it. You should, but you need to be thoughtful. All right. Well, Dr. Harris, I tell you, I appreciate you for coming on the show today. I'm always glad to hear from you. You're an awesome motivator, speaker, I mean, wonderful preacher. Yeah. Let me put a house down today over Thank at you. I really Reverend Brand Church. But, yeah, um, we had a time today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how can our listeners um, keep in touch with you? Yeah, I, I would love for you to follow me on social media. And um, while I'm thoughtful, I love to be silly now and then. So um, I love the light side as well. But follow me on Facebook, <laughs> Dr. Antipas L. Harris. That's Dr. A-N-T-I-P-A-S. L-A-J-R-R-I-S, Dr. Antipas Harris on Facebook. Uh, also, in Twitter and Instagram world, follow me at D-R-A-N-T-I-P-A-S. It's very simple, at Dr. Antipas. That's Twitter and um, Instagram. And also, you can visit my website where you'll find my books, and I'm selling bow ties, too, <laughs> and uh, other other resources there on my website. Um uh, doc, uh, it's dot com. Uh And I have more bow ties coming soon We just got a new yeah. manufacturer So we're We're, we're, uh, we're going to build that out But visit my website Send an email Join my, uh, my email list I would love, love, love To stay in touch with you uh, All the listeners out there And I love to hear some of your comments And some of the thoughts that I've had uh, because while I consider myself a thoughtful person, uh, yes. I don't know everything. You know, I'd love to hear what somebody else has to say to challenge me. Wonderful. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Dr. Harris, for being on the show today. And the we pleasure. definitely will hear thank from you, you soon. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate your night. Thank you again. God bless. You know what? Y'all have just had some 
wonderful guests, some wonderful people that just have driven this point home and provided so much knowledge. But certainly, might be last, but definitely not least, we have Mr. Kelly Williams, who is the creator, executive producer, and host of Black Politics Today, which is the only online political talk show that's focused on the needs and welfare of African Americans. Also, it's the primary source of highlighting what's at stake for stake rather for African Americans politically, economically, and socially across the country. Please help me welcome Mr. Williams. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And how are you this evening? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're awesome. And I, I hear. Wanted to. I hear. <laughs> We're trying to behave ourselves. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, why are so many black Americans experiencing discrimination today after so much quote-unquote progress in civil rights reform over the last four decades? And as a matter of fact, do you really even believe that there has been progress made? Well, I was listening to you guys in the beginning. You were talking about there was progress, and and then uh, there was the debate whether that progress was real or or, uh, interpreted. And you have to remember that for African Americans, our our greatest progress came in the 60s with the Civil Rights um, Act uh, being signed by uh, Lyndon Johnson. And then shortly thereafter, uh, we got, uh, in 74, we got affirmative action. But even through affirmative action, that wasn't really for us. That was for white women. But we were able to take some advantage of it. But if you think about the the progress um, in terms of why we're the civil rights reform is in progress for us, most of that progress that you see right now uh, in terms of civil rights has come to or come about by Latinos, Hispanics, and the LGBT community because they have learned how to plan, they've learned how to organize, and they've learned how to advocate and lobby uh, stakeholders, legislators, and policymakers to make sure that the policies that they want in place have been put in place. And if you look at the trend uh, from uh, early 90s till now, you see a a strong progressional movement uh, from the LGBT, from the Hispanic and Latino communities, to where now legislation, uh, Supreme Court seats, uh, different areas of stakeholders have been put in place and different policies have been put in place. African Americans, we're still facing discrimination because we have not moved in that same direction. We wait every two years to decide to do something. We don't do anything in between those two years. We sit back and we allow ourselves to be complacent with a lot of things that are going on. Um, And so when you allow uh, the Latino community and uh, um, Hispanic community and LGBT to take over the civil rights um, uh, platform uh, that was established by us for us, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Julian Bond, uh, uh, John Lewis, they established that platform and they established exactly what should be done and how it should be done. But after we got the signage of the civil rights bill and we got uh, the Housing Fair Housing Act and things of that nature, we stopped organizing. We stopped pushing. We felt that, well, we were there. We were doing things. And I think one of your guests earlier talked about it. It's where uh, I think it was Dr. Uh, Antipas Harris. He talked about the crab and the barrel mentality. We then became saying, well, I got mine. 
you go get yours. We forgot that we still needed to come together as a community, as a group, as a culture and a race to still move forward because if in 2052, uh, 2042, if the nation is going to be a majority of minorities, where are we going to be placed in that minority package? I offer to say that we're probably still going to be at a lower or less than because Latinos their population is growing, their income bracket is growing, their influence is growing, both politically um, as well as uh, socially and economically, and we're still spending $1.2 billion on goods and services as opposed to owning and producing. So although there uh, has been some progress, the progress that we are feeling is like the two steps forward, three steps back. Yeah, we got a step forward, but we're not continuing to push and, um, as you say, you, you're not continuing to keep your foot on the gas to move forward. You have, you get a spot, you get somewhere, you say, hey, I made it. And then you sit back and you watch things pass you by. Mm. Um, there are a lot of people who would say that President Obama is a sign of the progress that we've made. Say that, would you consider President Obama's progress? I do consider him progress, but again, it's just going to be one step forward, and now we're going to take two or three steps back. And I say it that way because what's going to happen when he leaves office? We're going to be left in a vacuum of trying to figure out who, quote-unquote, our black leader is or where do we go from here? Because as you see with the political candidates that are running now for president, none of them look like us. There's not anyone in the in the uh, mix that we would know to be a vice presidential candidate. So ultimately, yes, he made it. But also know this, he didn't make it with our votes. He made it with white votes. White folks elected President Obama. They had okay. to cross their lines and say we wanted a black president. Because even if we every black American voted in America, it wouldn't have been enough to get him elected. So white people had to come on board the same way black people came on board for President Clinton. White people came on board. That's why you will see his cabinet and a lot of things look white as opposed to black. And so many people uh, uh, fight him on that and, 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 and are upset about that. But you have to recognize where your politics are. He understood and knew that black folks would support him because he was black. But he also knew that there wasn't enough black folks to keep him there and sustain him. So he had to be able to recognize and understand and play politics and say, well, I need to keep white, Latino, Asian, Jews, other folks around me to make sure I can stay here for two terms as opposed to just one term, and I can get what I need done in in, in terms of policy to make sure that I can uh, sustain what my legacy is going to be. There's only 42 African Americans in the Congress. So 42 out of 535 isn't going to be enough for him to sustain anything. So, yes, it was progress. But the question is, is it going to be sustainable progress? Was it sustainable progress? I don't know. Because the way that he's being treated and the way people are fighting him now, it's going to be one of those uh, flipbacks of like, okay, we tried it once. We may not do this for another 100 years because so many people – don't recognize what he has done in terms of policy. They don't recognize what benefits they actually have in terms of uh, what uh, 53 months uh, straight 
of uh, economic growth uh, coming out of a recession, uh, the health care, you know, People will say healthcare. Well, it's costing jobs. So actually, healthcare premiums are going down. There are actually more jobs in the healthcare industry than there ever have been in the before. But you're not going to hear that. And unfortunately, uh, where I fault the president is that he takes on one of the what I say is, is the the black mentality. We don't want to really toot our own horn unless we're in sports or in the entertainment field. But when we're in business, if we're at the job site, we want to include everybody else in what we did. He needs to get out there and say, I did it. Yes, it was me. It was my policies. I put it forth and take credit for it. But unfortunately, because he hasn't told his story, so many people don't recognize it. If you go out and take a poll on your show and you say, do you like Obamacare, 50 60% of people say no. But if you tell them if you like Affordable Care Act, 70 80% of people will say yes. Because they don't understand that there's a difference. There's no difference in the two. Obamacare is the Affordable Care Act. But because the GOP has been able to keep on message and vilify exactly what he did, which they wanted to do but couldn't do, and what they did in in Massachusetts with Mitt Romney, he took the same exact policy and put it in place. When Mitt Romney did it, he was the greatest thing since indoor uh, indoor plumbing. When President Obama did it, it was like, you know, hey, he wasn't supposed to do that. He shouldn't have been able to do that. And now you have the Supreme Court upholding it twice, and they're still trying to uh, repeal it and uh, replace it, as they say. So, yeah, there's progress, but where is it going to actually end up in the end? Uh-huh. Mr. Williams, what are your thoughts on the current trend of policies for addressing injustice? Well, that's an interesting question um, because when I think about the current trend in policies, I go back to looking at where we started and we started with our Constitution. And in that, you have to remember that when that Constitution was written, we were slaves. We were only three-firths of a person. So every policy that was ever created wasn't created for our benefit. It wasn't created for us to even participate in because I don't think our founding fathers ever thought that we weren't going to be slaves. I think they always thought that we were going to be slaves, so we were always going to be property as opposed to humans. So even when you look at different states, a majority of the states still have legislation and uh, laws on the book that in some cases prevent interracial marriage, prevent blacks from living in certain areas, prevent us from doing a number of things. Now, other policies and laws have come across that have changed those, but there's still a mentality and ingrained atmosphere in those areas and in those policies that still cause us harm, i.e., Sandra Bland. I pull you over because you didn't signal, although you're not signaling. There was no other car behind you but me, and I was actually in another lane. So me not signaling because I'm moving out of your way should not necessarily be a crime. But those laws were put on the books so that they could then be able to use them back in the 80s to use them to pull over drug dealers. They wanted to use the simplest thing that would be a probable cause to allow us to stop you. Not having a front license plate on your car in Cincinnati, Ohio, causes me to stop you. Now, it doesn't prevent me from being able to find out who you are or you know, where you live or what you're doing because I see the tag on the back of your car. But I'm going to stop you because you don't have a front license plate, and then I'm going to shoot you in the head and tell people that you tried to run over me, and I forgot I had a body camera on. Or I'm going to do Sandra Bland, and I'm going to ask you, would you mind putting out your cigarette 
but because you refuse, because you do mine, now I'm going to get you out of the car and I'm going to arrest you. And then I'm going to falsify my report by saying, oh, you kicked me or you tried to kick me and you hit me with your elbow. Now, I've been in law enforcement before, my father, my brother. All those things are what we call, yeah, the probable cause to pull you over, the probable cause to stop you is there. But how you dealt with the situation was totally out of line in terms of rules, regulations, and policies. So when you look at the trend now, the trend is if you're African-American, if you're black, if you're a male or female, doesn't matter if even if you're a female. If you go against what I've told you as a white officer, you have now defied me. I'm an authority figure. I have control over you. I've always had control over you, and I will continue to have control over you. So you better do what I tell you to do. When you don't, you're going to yeah. suffer the consequences. So now you're suffering the consequences because what you did was you asserted your civil right by saying, oh, yes, I do mine because you asked me. Now, if you had said, I need you to put that out because I'm concerned about you using it as a weapon and the weapon being being able to flick it in my face or doing something of that nature, that's something different. But the cop never said that. The cop asked her very politely, hey, would you mind? And she said, no, I do mind. I'm in my car. Because right. I'm not offending you. You're outside of the car. I'm in my car. So if there's a problem, you have the problem. And that's what happened. And so he, you see in the video, he took a totally different tone, put his clipboard down, like, well, get out the car. I'm taking out the car right now. And then he told her she was under arrest. Well, in p- protocol and procedure, if she was under arrest, as soon as he pulled her out of the car, he should have turned her around and put her in handcuffs, then waited for a female officer to come by, and then searched her before he put her in the back of her car. He didn't do that. You saw her walking away, talking and yelling. He's walking behind her, talking with her. Now, how are you putting someone under arrest and you letting them walk away freely? Because you had no reason to put them under arrest. You're just trying to assert your, assert your authority over them as a white cop over a black woman. You knew she was from that, out of town. Come on. That is so true, so true. Now, I also want to get your opinion on diversity. We talked about it earlier in the show. And with so much of a focus on diversity in recent years, do you believe this shift has taken away from learning and embracing black history and heritage? I don't think diversity has taken away from that. I think uh, our family structure has done that. Uh, Diversity is, you know, being able to have other minorities, African Americans, Latinos, Asians, whoever, in uh, different places in the workplace, uh, um, um, in policymaking positions, in in your neighborhood, whatever the case may be. Diversity is just a mixture of what we're trying to. Do. We're supposed to be a melting pot. That's what diversity is. However, our family structure has. I believe, uh, prevented us or or taken away from our learning and embracing our black history because you don't get that at home anymore. When you were growing up uh, with your grandparents, your grandparents was telling you about black history. They were telling you about what went on, not only in your family, but in history in the community, history across the state, history across the country. They were telling you. Your parents were telling you. Um, We don't have any structure in trying to understand or know what our history is. The schools aren't going to give us our history because whatever they give us is minute to the actual history of what and who we are as a people. So, one, we have to take on that role uh, for ourselves. 
we have to, one, want to educate our children, want to educate ourselves, and want to be a part of the history that we're making and a part of our heritage. If we don't do that, then it's, it's you know, counterproductive of us trying to look at what diversity can do for us if all we're looking for from diversity is just a spot. If we're not looking for the the uh, uh, piece of diversity to allow us to now create change within the structure that we are diversifying, what purpose does it serve us? If we're just going to get the position and sit there for our own laurels and our own morals, we haven't done anything. But if we get the position or we get the spot and now we're sitting at the table, now we can have a piece of the pie to where we can cut it up and share it with somebody else that's behind us to create an opportunity for them to do that. When I first came to D.C. in the Clinton administration, I was at a senior-level position. And what I did immediately is I saw people who looked like me, walked like me, sounded like me, and I began to tap them for different uh, uh, jobs or different assignments to help me do what I needed to do. They had the institutional knowledge of what was going on around D.C. I did not. I was from California. So I tapped them to help me understand that. But at the same time, by me tapping them, it put them in places where they were sitting at the table with the secretary, the undersecretary, the vice president, or the president, where they would not have been sitting there had I just went on and gotten my seat, sat there, and tried to figure out what I needed to figure out or did what I needed to do on my own. When you look at diversity, um, I would even take it a step further and take it back to, say, Ferguson. I heard you guys talking about that earlier. You have 65% of a city that is African American. Only 12% of them turn out to vote. Ultimately, a white Republican gets elected. That may be diversity or reverse diversity for them, but the reality of it is, is that diversity that they put in place caused them more harm than value. So in some cases, had they been educating themselves, had they not allowed the system or the structure to dictate to them who actually turned out to vote, but they would have stayed in the sense of understanding black history and their heritage, they should have and would have been controlling that city to where Michael Brown would have never gotten killed. 2015 people would have never gotten citations and and arrested for just having traffic violations. 3,000 people wouldn't have had their licenses suspended and gone to jail. And you wouldn't have a woman who's 63 years old paying for a $1,000 traffic ticket that she got back in 2010 that at that time was only $50. But because she didn't have the money, they kept adding on Mm. fees and fees and fees to where she now has to pay $1,000 to someone for a traffic ticket, a simple traffic ticket. So diversity is good when you use it, but it didn't take away from us learning or embracing our black heritage. We have to embrace our black heritage, and we have to embrace our black history and create new history. History repeats itself. So the question is, what do we want repeated? Do we want what we see right now being repeated? Because if you look at today and you close your eyes and you turn on uh, uh, YouTube or the History Channel back in the 60s, when they were walking across that Pettus Bridge, if you watch the movie Selma, you're seeing the same thing you saw in Selma right here in 2015 with a black president. Why are you seeing the same thing today that you saw 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that you're seeing today, even with a sitting black president? Because we have not embraced our heritage or our history. If we had, we would have gone and we would be a lot further along and we would have changed the name of the Pettus Bridge. Yeah, we would have taken down the Confederate flag because although 
some folks think it or see it as a, 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 a sign of history. In my personal opinion, that history would create it as a result of Jefferson Davis creating the uh, Confederate States and deciding to go to war against Lincoln and commit, committing treason. I don't think we should be celebrating anything that was committed against this country that was designed to basically destroy this country. Treason, as it is in the Constitution, as you know, so many GOP and Republicans talk about, we should uphold the Constitution. Well, those are the same people who are trying to uphold this Confederate flag. That Confederate flag, wow. a battle flag, was a sign of treason. It was a sign of slavery. It was a sign of hatred. All those things. And as I had a, a um, I had the black rebel on my talk show two weeks ago. He's African American. He supports the flag. He embraces the flag, and he sees it in that same vein. It's just a form of history. Well, what history do you want to embrace? You want to embrace the history of treason. You want to embrace the history of the flag that was created for and created as a result of Lincoln wanting to abolish slavery, Jefferson Davis not wanting to abolish slavery. So he created the. Uh, he decided to fight against the Union. And his flag is the battle flag, the Confederate battle flag. Now, yeah, it's history, but it's a history of fighting a battle that was designed to not allow for the abolishment of slavery. And what most people don't recognize and understand is if Lincoln had not won that battle, if we were in theory, we would still be slaves. That flag would be hanging right now over us. Yes. That flag would be the same flag that's fine. And if any of you watched the whole outcome in South Carolina, why was it? Why was it that the U.S. flag, the United States of America flag, and the South Carolina state flag both was flying at half mass and was much lower than that Confederate flag? I would argue that that Confederate flag was the sign of the authority and the power of the Confederacy and the white control over everything and anything that they had control over, which, i.e., was us, black folks. That flag was the only flag that flew at full staff for the entire time that uh, Reverend Pinckney slayed in state, got buried, had his funeral, and until that Friday when they argued, cried, and, and brought it down, that flag was the only flag in that state that flew higher than anything else in that land. What did it symbolize? It confederalized the, the uh, Confederacy. Mr. Williams, I, 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 you know, I can see definitely why you are so successful as the host of Black Politics today, because you've really just shared so much enlightening information. But definitely, we want to have you come back again, and we want our listeners to continue to be able to follow you. So how can they contact you, and, and how can they follow you? Sure. They can uh, follow us on Facebook at Black Politics, the number two, D-A-Y, or they can greet us on Twitter, Meerkat, and on Periscope at BLK Politics the number two day black politics today and our website black politics today spelled out um, dot com so um, they can just type in black politics today uh, blk politics the number two day and they can follow us on twitter meerkat periscope uh, instagram and uh, black politics the number two d on facebook and black politics spelled out today uh, dot com on our uh, website they can also get us on iTunes. All our shows are downloaded to iTunes every Tuesday morning, so they can follow us and listen to us every Monday night at 7 p.m. Uh, on blackpoliticstoday.com or Bliss FM, or they can uh, download us on iTunes. 
at black politics today. Awesome. And and again, we're pressed for time, but definitely we, we thank you for coming on, and we would love to have you come back on and continue this topic and a lot of the other topics that you shared with us tonight. Absolutely. I thank you, and I appreciate Nathan and uh, Will for having me on as well as you ladies. I uh, greatly appreciate it, and you guys continue to do a great job as what you're doing uh, with your show as well. Thank you. Thank and you. you as well. Have an awesome night. Yeah, you too. Yes. Thank you. Thank right. you. Take care. You too. Wow. I, great guys, show. I, great show, but I have to say, Nate, thank you. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful direction, wonderful guests. So thank you for the concept, and thank you for pulling that off. Yeah, yeah. So, Alicia, tell us what is in store for next week. I understand we have a, a double show next week, right? <laughs> yes, we do. Um, tell us about it. Well, I'm just going to tell you, our first guest, Mr. Dave Pounder, the actual topic for next week's show is he cheated, so what? And our expert reveals that he really feels that, you know what, women, you shouldn't be upset if your partner has a fling. Um, It's just natural. It's just normal. Also, the interesting thing about Mr. Pounder, he is an esteemed, get this, he is an esteemed pornographer. Um, He directs, he produces, and he stars, um, to his credit, over 100 uh, different adult films. So I would love to hear his perspective that he has on... You know, he cheated, so what? Or as I'm hearing that, he cheated, so hey, get over it. That's what happens. But also on that same show, we're going to have athlete Dre Baldwin, um, who's going to talk about Get Your Game On. So the same way we've had uh, season two of the show on Look the Part, he's going to tell us how to actually be the part professionally using a lot of the, you know, skills that he's attained as an athlete. And we can definitely see how that applies to business, so it's going to be an awesome show. Awesome yes, show. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, I want to give anybody an opportunity. Do you have anything to say? Maybe any remarks? Nate, do you have anything to say about your show that you produce? Anybody else? You know what? I bet you yeah. anything. Nate has the mute button on. No, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what do you have to say? Um, no, it was just good. Just listening to I, I I like listening to the different aspects and the different views that people have. So it was yes. a really good show. Really good job. Yes. Good job. But I just want to tell everybody make sure that you what were you gonna say? Mm-hmm. Uh for Danielle Twin as well as Mr. Demarcus Taylor, I give kudos to them because you know, we look in the media and we always see these negative stories about young black men, young black women, and what they're not doing and what they're doing, you know, negative. But these two people really showed the example of those young black ambitious youth and what is typical, not the rarity. So, you know, I appreciate them coming on. And, of course, Mr. Williams, Dr. Harris, awesome guests, and just, just love the information that they shared. Awesome. So make sure that you tune in next Sunday. Um, we're your hosts. I'm Will Strayhorn. Alicia Brown. Liz Garrett. Hey, <laughs> All right. Until next weekend. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www. 
www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.